Namum yoho renge kyo, namum yoho renge kyo, namum yoho renge kyo. Hi, friends. Welcome. Thank you for your support. Take a second to like and subscribe. It really helps propagate um, to more people, make these videos more available. It's a, it's a bodhisattva effort, yeah? Um, mm, my apologies. Still got a little breakfast rolling around in there. Yuck. Sorry. Um, I'm going to assume that most of you are human. Um, if you're uh, something else, uh, let me know in the comments. <laughs> As humans, and I will speak whether you're human or not, one thing that we uh, sentient minds, are, we humans, are preoccupied with, other than data collecting all the time, what's this, what's that, what's this, is doubt. I suppose it's the flip side of collecting information. In order to collect information, you kind of have to be curious. And if you're curious, there's always something, maybe it's not doubt specifically, but there's questions, yeah? So, thus far, in the Lotus Sutra, in these first six chapters, we've moved from okay, this is a new teaching. That doesn't mean that everything I've taught before is bogus. It just means that uh, the previous years of teachings have been directed to uh, specific audiences. And so we've had to contend with the fact that, kind of obvious, but every human being is a collection of karmic amalgam energies that are not exactly the same. And therefore, we assimilate knowledge, experience, through different lenses, different collections of, like the term epistemology in the first volume of, uh, of Buddhism reference, right? Um, and so, a lot of time was spent explaining that because the teachings are different and now I'm going to blow all of them away with this new teaching, it doesn't invalidate you. It doesn't invalidate, invalidate the way you come to Buddhism. It's Buddha is universal. It's always there. It's Buddha-ness, what we're trying to accomplish with our practice, is to be aware and to experience Buddha. And although we may all follow different paths to get there, the general path is to take us to a full, perfect enlightenment. And that can only be accomplished fully with this teaching, right? This teaching now is the manifestation of full enlightenment for anyone. So anyone who felt excluded or that I excluded in, in the dialogue of the sutra is no longer excluded this is available to everyone and he goes the 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 sutra goes through great lengths to reassure everyone right giving them prophecies and giving them assurances that in the future they will yeah 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 you know but we've also excuse me we've also learned that this process isn't unique 
to Shakyamuni or the or any of the sutras previous, but they actually are training for the way that we ourselves treat others who are either ignorant or just beginners, uh, other people curious about enlightenment or to make them curious. And so interestingly enough, it seemed like he... Shakyamuni in this sutra was spending a lot of time explaining himself, but in truth, he was showing that he was the exemplar and saying, now it's on to you to do this same thing. Be aware, he cautions us. Be aware of the capacity, be aware of the nature of those you encounter that either are gravitating toward you because there's something drawing them toward you. Or those who know you that you are influencing already, be acutely aware of their capacities. Don't just say, hey, I have all this new knowledge and dump it on them. Be ju uh, judicious. Be um, careful, right? Take this teaching and understand its profundity and hold it with dignity and don't just spread it around ad hoc without considering the various audiences of the people that you meet. Do as I have done. Teach to the capacity of the people and that may mean they know nothing about Buddhism and you may need to talk to them differently to feel them out, uh, are, are you ready? Are you seeking? Is this something that you're attracted to, but you don't necessarily want to get involved with? I mean, there's everyone, there's so many differences. There are as many differences in capacity as there are, what is it, over 8 billion people on the planet right now? So be respectful of the teaching always. Let that guide you in the way that you bring others into the practice, yeah? So that's really important. But now with chapter seven, we're gonna go the next step beyond that. Now the training of how to be a bodhisattva is really engaged. I've demonstrated with my own life. This is why I encourage you to do. And now let's take it a step further. So in chapter seven, we're gonna deal with, as I said earlier, doubt, shaky ground. Sometimes you try and try and try something and you may not be, or you may early on, and we see this all the time with uh, people who just begin to practice, that they're aware of so many changes in their lives. Sometimes just aware of the aspects of their life that they've been blind to before, let alone changes because now they know. And then it slows down a little bit because those superficial <laughs> uh, obstacles, they're easy to overcome. Bing, 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 right? But then once you get a bunch of those superficial obstacles out of the way, uh, you start to challenge a little bit more and a little bit more. And now not only do you challenge more difficult obstacles, but you have an expectation, Right? I was riding high on this for several months or a year or whatever. 
And now I've come across something that is really sludgy, that doesn't want to change, or I can't see the change, or if the change is happening, I'm not aware of it, and I want to, and I want to feel good about this, but now it's just feeling like drudgery. Ah, what do we do about that? We experience it ourselves from time to time, yeah, yeah. And so if we're helping somebody else along and they're demonstrating that behavior, what do we do? How do we take care of that? So this chapter we're about to start, Parable of the Conjured City, is about just a, such a situation. Of course, there'll be more covered here, but that's the general lesson. So let's get into it. The Buddha declared to the bhikshus, Long ago, beyond incalculable, limitless, inconceivable, and unutterable Asamkaya Kalpas, at that time, there was a Buddha named Victorious through great penetrating knowledge. Uh, thus come one worthy of offerings of right and universal knowledge, his clarity and conduct perfect, well gone, understanding the world, an unexcelled worthy, a regulator of men of stature, a teacher of gods and men, a Buddha, a world-honored one. His realm was called or named Goodly City. His kalpa was named Great Appearance, Bhikshus. Since that Buddha passed into extinction in a remote age, the time has been great and long indeed. For example, suppose a hypothetical man took all the kinds of earth that are in a thousand millfold world and ground them up into ink powder. Ink powder, that's pretty granular, yeah? And after carrying the powder through a thousand lands, at last deposited a bit the size of a particle of dust. Then after passing through another thousand lands, deposited another particle and so on, depositing them a bit at a time, until all the particles had been exhausted. In your opinion, how would it be? Where these lands are concerned, could an abacus master or his disciple ever reach the limit of these lands and know their number, or could he not? Well, of course, this is inconceivable, yeah? He could not, old world-honored one, responded the bhikshus, right? Oh, bhikshus and bhikshunis, if the lands this man passed through, whether he made a deposit in them or not, were all ground into dust. Oh, no, here we go again. This is that famous roundabout way of just breaking your brain on calculating time or distance, Yeah. And if each grain of dust were equal to one kalpa, <laughs> the time since that Buddha's passage into extinction would still exceed their full number by incalculable, limitless hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of asamkaya kalpas. So this is what's often referred to as time without beginning. And, and, refers, and science right now, cosmology especially, is really grappling with the age of the cosmos. Really, really grappling with it. Because thames, thanks to the James Webb Telescope, they're finding galaxies, star clusters, that are formed 
at a time period that challenges the time period they thought was the age of the present cosmos, even as much as doubling it. But if you've ever sat down and looked at these charts on Big Bang, how old is the planet Earth, how, how old is the universe, and you start to understand that 14 billion years, is, it's inconceivable to really grapple, get your mind around it. Whether it's 14,000, 13.9, 13.8, depends on who you quote, or it's 27 or whatever, the point is, and as the sutra is saying, Buddhahood or Buddhaness, Buddha, the engine of life, which is really what he's saying, is as old as the universe. And challenging yourself to grapple with when the universe began, in other words, time began, it's a pointless endeavor. Simply considering it is enough. Just know that this has always been in this physical universe. Hmm? Thanks to the thus come one's power of knowledge and insight, I see that time in the remote and distant past as if it were this very day, which of course it is. But this day contains all of that time is in the now, this time, which is a moment that's already gone, right? So we're momentum moving through this. So time is this weird samsaric construct that doesn't really apply to the engine of life. So let's dance around it. Let's see what we can do with it. Understand this concept, in other words, as a pre-existing concept, as far as we're concerned, physical beings, yeah? The tendency is to say, well, when did that happen? How long has that been going? Always is the, the short answer. At that time, the world-honored one wishing to uh, yeah, restate this meaning, proclaimed Gathas, saying, I recall that in an age gone by, incalculable, limitless kalpas ago, there was a Buddha, one venerable among two-legged beings, whose name was victorious through great penetrating knowledge. If, with all his might, a man were to grind the soil of a thousand millfold, millionfold world, using all kinds of earth, and reducing them, all without exception, to powdered ink, then to pass through a thousand lands, and only then deposit a single grain, in this way, going from place to place and making deposits until he had exhausted all the grains of powdered ink, and if lands equal in number to these, those in which deposits both were and were not made were further to be completely reduced to dust, one grain of dust to equal one kalpa, these grains of dust would in number be exceeded by the kalpas since that Buddha's passage into extinction. Okay, so we're not talking about a particular Buddha's passage into extinction. We're talking about Buddha, Buddha-ness. Hmm? It has been kalpas incalculable as those. The thus come one in his unobstructed wisdom 
knows that Buddha's passages in, a passage into extinction and his voice hearers and bodhisattvas, as if seeing a passage into extinction, but now let the bhikshus know that Buddha knowledge is pure and subtle without outflows and unobstructed penetrating incalculable kalpas. So this is the stuff. This is universally, timelessly, the point, the main gist. And notice the name of this Buddha is victorious through great penetrating knowledge. Well, isn't that exactly what he's describing? All right. The Buddha declared to the monks, the bhikshus, bhikshunis, the Buddha victorious through great penetrating knowledge had a lifespan of 540 myriad millions of nayutas of kalpas. restating the same thing. Inconceivable time. When that Buddha was seated on the platform of the way, after having smashed Mara's army, just as he was about to gain Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, still the Buddha Dharmas did not appear before him. In this way, from one minor kalpa up through ten minor kalpas, he sat cross-legged, body and mind, immobile, yet the Buddha Dharma still did not appear before him. So he's talking about the development of mankind, right? That there was always a preoccupation with these big questions. Who am I? Why am I here? What purpose is life? What da 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 Right? This has been a question since... As he said, two-legged men roam the earth. The cosmos, as it were. At that time, the Tariyastrima gods, Indra and his 33, prepared for that Buddha under a Bodhi tree, a lion throne, one Johanna in height, for on that throne the Buddha was to attain Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Now who is he talking about? Just when he sat on that throne, the Brahma god kings rained down a multitude of divine flowers, the surface of each being a hundred Johannas. A fragrant wind sprang up at that time, blew away the wilted flowers, and rained down new ones. For full ten minor kalpas ceaselessly making offerings to the Buddha in this way raining down these flowers until the very moment of his passage into extinction. The gods, in the train of the four kings, as an offering to the Buddha, constantly beat divine drums, while the other gods, in the same way, played skillful divine music for a full ten minor kalpas until his passage into extinction. So this is the development of the mind, yeah? This is an entire history of humanity. It's fascinating. O bhikshus, only after the Buddha victorious through great penetrating knowledge had passed ten minor kalpas in this way, did the dharma of the Buddhas appear before him. And only then did he achieve Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. Before that Buddha left his household, he had sixteen sons of whom the first was named Knowledge Accumulation. Makes sense. 
The, the children each had a variety of rare, precious, excellent playthings. When they heard that their father had been able to achieve Anuttara Samyak Sambodai, full, complete, perfect enlightenment, they all cast aside the things to which they had attached such great value and went before the Buddha. Their mothers, shedding tears, accompanied them. Their grandfathers, wheel-turning sage kings, with a hundred great ministers and a hundred thousand myriads of millions of subjects all together surrounding them, accompanied them to the platform of the path, wishing personally to approach the thus-come-one victorious through great penetrating knowledge, to make offerings and to do honor to him, to revere and praise him. When they arrived, with heads bowed, the day uh, they did obeisance to his feet, and having circumnambulated him, single-mindedly with, and with palms joined, they looked up at the world-honored one and praised him with gathas, saying, O world-honored one of great imposing might, in order to save the living beings, or liberate the, the um, living beings, only after incalculable millions of years had run their course, did you achieve Buddhahood? Did you experience, are you experiencing the Dharma? Hmm? Your vows have now been fulfilled. Excellent, O oh, supremely fortunate one. World honored one, you are very rare. For once you are seated, for ten minor kalpas, your body, your arms and legs, quiet and calm, do not move. Your thought, ever serene. Never suffers any disturbance, quiet and extinct to absolute eternity. This is talking about quiescence, right? You dwell secure, securely in the Dharma, free of outflows. You're, you're fully engaged in the process of life, the engine of life. You're experiencing Buddha. Now that we see the world-honored one serenely achieve the Buddha path, we have gained good advantage, proclaiming our delight we are overjoyed. The living beings, ever tormented by pain, by attachments, craving, clinging, blind and without a guide, do not recognize the path wherein pain is terminated, nor do they know enough to seek deliverance, liberation. Throughout the long night of time, they gain in evil destinies. In other words, more obstacles. Instead of breaking through them, they just gain more attachment, more clinging, more craving, right? And they reduce the ranks of the gods, the gods being, that is, they are reincarnated into the lower destinies. Reincarnated used to mean from moment to moment, every new moment of our momentum, they're just compounding, right, their attachments. 
not new lifetimes, lifetimes as moments, yes? Okay. From darkness proceeding to darkness, they never hear the Buddha's name. Now that the Buddha has gained the supremely serene Dharma free of outflows, we and the gods and men, in order to gain the greatest advantage, for this purpose, all bowing our heads, submit to the supremely venerable one. Once again, looking for a leader to teach them, right? Not understanding yet that it is for them to teach themselves to awaken the mind they already have the potential for, but they need somebody to guide them, as it said earlier, right? Such was the time. At that time, the 16 princes, having praised the Buddha with gathas, urgently pleaded with the world-honored one to turn the Dharma wheel, teach us. All saying, world-honored one, preach the Dharma, and thus calm, have pity on us, have pity and, on, and benefit many subjects, divine and human. Repeating it, they proclaimed gathas, saying, hero of the world, who have no equal, self-adorned with a hundred merits. That's quite a key statement, rather. Self-adorned. Why is it he could do it and you can't? Still missing the point, right? Self-adorned with a hundred merits who have gained unexcelled knowledge. We beg you for the world's sake to preach, to teach us, to ferry us to salvation to liberation, and the several species of living beings for all our sakes to make explicit clarity, revelation, thus enabling us to gain this knowledge. For if we can attain Buddhahood, <laughs> page-turning karma, I haven't said that for a while. Then so can other living beings. The world-honored one knows the beings' deepest, constant thoughts. He also knows the paths they tread, right? People's natures. We, he knows as well the power of their knowledge, what their capacities are. Their desires and their merits they cultivate. And also the deeds they did in the past, the world honored one, knowing all this, should turn the unexcelled wheel. Ooh, that's, that's a little bit demanding, but okay. The Buddha declared to the bhikshus When the Buddha, victorious through great penetrating knowledge, attained Anuttara Samyak Sambodai in each of the ten directions, 500 myriads of millions of Buddha's, Buddha worlds, trembled in six different ways, and in the intervals between those lands, dark and obscure places that the glorious light of the sun and moon could not illuminate were all very bright. So again, with these similes and uh, parables, or not parables, but uh, analogies of enlightening through his own enlightenment, all of these worlds appeared clear to that Buddha. Hmm? 
The living beings within them were all enabled to see one another and all said, because he affected, influenced all people in the world, why has this place suddenly produced living beings? It's like they suddenly became self-aware. Also, the palaces of gods within the territories of those realms up through the Brahma palaces shook in six different ways, and a great light shining everywhere filled the world, exceeding the glow of the gods themselves. So there's scientists and uh, uh, anthropologists, they, they talk about these periods in time in the evolution of mankind where great paradigm shifts happened, right? There was something in process for a long time, then suddenly something occurred and it, it was like it occurred everywhere at once or pretty near, right? So this is the same kind of conversation as once somebody had realized the purpose of life, the engine of life, whether they could communicate in language or not, that capacity suddenly appeared universally everywhere, at least for a moment. But even if only for a moment, it influenced time continuing on, the momentum afterward, yeah? At that time, in 500 myriads of millions of lands to the east, the palaces of the Brahma gods were aglow with twice their usual splendor, and the Brahmins, the Brahmas, the god kings, each had this thought. Now the palaces glow as they never have before. For what reason do they show this portent? At this time, the Brahmas, the god kings, visited one another and discussed the matter together. At that time, there was a great Brahma god named Rescuing All, a liberator, who for the sake of the Brahma multitudes proclaimed Agatha, saying, Our palaces are aglow as never before. What the reason for this may be, each of us should seek to learn. As, is it because of a god of great power has been born? or because a Buddha has emerged into the world, that this great glow shines everywhere in all ten directions. Ah, that seeking spirit is now implanted in everyone. Oh, this, there's an answer to why we're here. What is life about? Why am I here? What am I doing? What's... What should be my goal? What is my value? Blah, blah, blah. There is a potential answer. There must be a great teacher, a great sage, a Buddha instantiated as a teacher, a human being. At that time, the Brahma god of kings of 500 myriads of millions of lands, together with their palaces, retinues, their, their entire entourage, each god king, putting divine flowers atop of cloth spread, went together to the west to seek this portent. Let's go see what this is about. They saw the thus come one victorious through great penetrating knowledge on the platform of the path under the Bodai tree. Seated on a lion throne, the gods, dragon kings, Gandharvas, Gand Gandharvas, sorry, Kinaras, 
Mahoragas, humans and non-humans, deferentially surrounding him. And they saw the 16 princes begging the Buddha to turn the Dharma wheel. Straight away, the Brahma god kings, with their heads bowed, worshipped, well, paid obeisance to the Buddha. We don't worship in Buddhism, we realize, yeah? So there's a... Circumnambulated him a hundred thousand times. Whew. How long were the days then? <laughs> you can see there's a lot of hyperbole here, but it's storytelling, right? Then the scattered divine flowers over him, the mound of flowers being like Mount Sumeru. They also made offerings therewith to the Buddha's Bodhi tree, the Bodhi tree being ten Johannas in height. When they had made flower offerings, each presented a palace to that Buddha and said, Do but show us compassion and favor, deign, we, we beseech you, to accept these and to occupy them. At that time, the Brahma God King straight away in the Buddha's presence with a single thought and with a common voice praised him, saying, now, you see, this is all about attitude and intent. I'm going to say it again. Don't miss the fact that all of these spoken gathas and everything are in the mind, right? What does it say? In the Buddha's presence, with a single thought and with a common voice, right? The world-honored one is very rare. Only with difficulty can he be encountered, fully endowed with in incalculable merits he can liberate and preserve all the great teacher of gods and men he takes pity on the world compassion and living beings in the ten directions all everywhere receive his favors his beneficence yeah whence we have come in those 500 myriads of millions of lands we have abandoned the joys of deep dhyana concentration right these these mantras, these self-penetrations uh, 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 into our own minds, our samsaric realities, in order to make offerings to the Buddha. With our merits of former ages are these palaces much adorned. Now we present them to the world-honored one and beg him mercifully to accept them. Accept them, but as we read earlier, to, to occupy them. Right? They're relinquishing their great power and palace of accomplishments in lieu of this much greater knowledge, this Buddha knowledge, to occupy their millions of nayutas of lands and palaces. Yeah? At that time, all the Brahmagog kings, having praised the Buddha with gathas, said, We beg the world-honored one, we beseech him, to turn the Dharma wheel to rescue or to liberate the beings and to open the way to nirvana, that liberation. At that time, the Brahman god kings, with a single thought and a common voice, proclaimed this brief gatha, Hero of the world, venerable among two-legged beings, we beg you, we beseech you to set forth the dharma. By the might of your great good, will, and compassion, 
liberating the woe-beset, agonized living beings. Hmm? At that time, the thus come one, victorious through great penetration knowledge, penetrating knowledge, consented silently. Hmm. O bhikshus, the great Brahma kings in the 500 myriad of millions of lands in the southeast, every one of them seeing the palaces radiant with glow, as they had never been before, danced for joy, evincing the thought that this had never been done before. Then, straight away, visiting one another, they discussed this matter together. At that time, there was in that multitude a great Brahma god king named Greatly Compassionate, who, for the sake of the Brahma multitudes, proclaimed Gathas, saying, In this matter, for what reason are these signs revealed? Our palaces glow as never before. It is is it that a god of great merit has been born, or is it that a Buddha has emerged in the world? Never before have we seen such signs. We must trace them together with a single thought, crossing a thousand myriads of millions of lands, seeking the glow and investigating it together. It, most, it is most likely that a Buddha has emerged in the world to convey woe-smitten living beings to deliverance to liberation, hmm? to nirvana. We'll go a little further here. At that time, the Brahma god kings of the 500 myriads of millions of lands together with their palace retinues, each putting divine flowers atop a cloth spread, went together to the northwest to seek this portent. They saw the thus come one victorious through penetrating knowledge on the platform of, path, of the path under the Bodhi tree, seated on a lion throne, the gods, dragon kings, Gandhara, Gandharvas, Kinaras, Mahoragas, humans, non-humans, deferentially surrounding him, and they saw the sixteen princes begging the Buddha to turn the Dharma wheel. Straight away, the Brahmaga kings, with their heads bowed, right, pay obeisance to the Buddha, circumnambulated him a hundred thousand times, then scattered divine flowers over him, the mound of flowers being like, it sounds repetitive, right? I'm not reading the same thing over again. But what you'll notice is that these Brahma gods came from different sectors. And so all of them come to this place, pay obeisance, and beseech the Buddha to teach them, right? And so it's yet another opportunity for a gatha of, please help to liberate us. O sainted Lord, a god among gods, O you with the voice of a kalavinka, or Indian cuckoo, a very loud, penetrating voice, right? O you who take pity on the beings, we now salute you. The world-honored one is very rare. For only in a long intervals of time does he appear, and then but once. One hundred and eighty kalpas have gone by empty without a Buddha. The three evil courses being full, the multitude of gods few and decreasing. Now a Buddha has emerged into the world, acting as eyes for the living beings, one to whom the world turns, one who liberates and preserves all. A father to the living beings, 
who bestows pity, compassion, and advantage on them as a, it says blessing here, but as a formidable reward, merit, on our former merit. Now we have been enabled to encounter a world-honored one. At that time, all the Brahmagog kings, having praised the Buddha and Gatha, said, We beg, we beseech the world-honored one, out of pity for all, out of compassion for all, to turn the Dharma wheel to convey the beings' to liberation. At that time, the Brahmagog kings, with a single thought and with a common voice, proclaimed to Gatha, saying, O great saint, turn the Dharma wheel, displaying the marks of the Dharmas, saving the woe-smitten, agonized being, and causing them to gain great joy. If the beings hear this Dharma, gaining the path, they may be reborn in the next moment right, as enlightened. The evil destinies shall diminish. What are the evil destinies? The lower paths, right? The six lower paths. Or the three lower paths. The four lower paths. Depends on the teaching you're accustomed to. But always the lower paths. Hell, hunger, animality, right? Anger, so on. At that time, the thus come one victorious through great penetrating knowledge consented silently. Mm-hmm. O Bhikshus, the great Brahma kings in the 500 myriads of millions of lands in the south, every one of them seeing the palaces radiant with glow as they had never seen before, danced for joy, evincing the thought that they had never seen before. Then, that this land had never been before, sorry. Then, straight away visiting one another, they discussed this matter together. For what reason do our palaces have this glow? Then, there was that multitude, a great Brahma god named Fine Dharma, who, for the sake of the Brahma multitude, proclaimed Gatha's saying, Our palaces aglow have a most imposing luster. This cannot be without a cause. This is a portent we should trace. In more than a hundred thousand kalpas, we have never seen such a portent. Is it that a god of great power has been born, or that a Buddha has emerged in the world? Yep. This is another sector. We went to the southeast. Now we're in the south. We're going to, right? It's going to be going over and over and over and over. So maybe we can skip the repetition here. You certainly have gotten the picture by now, right? Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. Richard Buddha, Sishin Princes, didn't show his compassion and favor at that time. Over and over again at that time, married, woman, one turn around, put at ease, giving many deliverance at that time. Gatha's saying, Oh, world honor, one turn the Dharma wheel. There we are again. Okay, we'll start up again at this juncture. I hope you don't mind that I'm not going to repeat this for every point on the compass. We'll take it up, I think, after we've done the globe so we can get on with the teaching here. The point is, um, this was a momentous occasion, and uh, slowly but surely, the world became attuned and able to seek out this teaching 
much as each of us individually do the same thing. So don't lose that point, right? As grandiose and hyperbolic as this story is, it's about each of us being different cosmoses, right? We all experience the cosmos, this earth, our own lives, very attuned to our own, if you will, compass point, our own collection, our amalgam of energies, our karma. And so from whichever point of energy you manifest from, your curiosity for this, you could say, divine insight is peaked and you want to know, right? So this is an illustration of the, the different points, the different types of life experience, all seeking out the same thing. And we'll continue with that. Uh, yeah, I went a, a little, trying to keep these below a half hour. Um, let me know what you think. Some of you like the long format. Um, but every time I put something short up, it's like you guys gobble it up. So maybe you like both. I don't mean to be too <laughs> um, overly concerned about that. I just want to make sure that we maximize this resource and, uh, and that you get the most out of it. This is about your confidence in your practice, right? Your conviction. So use this resource. Remember, like and subscribe. Also, in the description, all kinds of links for other free stuff like the podcasts and all the info on the uh, study page on threefoldlows.com and the books, the links to the books, the videos, the on and on and on. Please make use of all the uh, resources that you can and uh, anything that you purchase will help us. Um, we get a, a percentage. Um, print books are so expensive right now and shipping. A lot of you are preferring the eBooks much quicker to get and much, much cheaper, but we still get a little bit out of that. And patrons, you guys are amazing. Um, I continue to exist because of you guys. So, any of you who are interested uh, on Patreon, um, you don't have to pay anything there. The videos are all available on Patreon. Uh, but there, it is a portal for you to make donations, regular donations or singular donations, uh, as well as PayPal, which is what it ultimately all goes through anyway. So thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Enjoy your practice, right? Savor it and keep it strong. And in order to do that, not a bad idea to take care of your health. It's a kindness, an important kindness, yeah? For yourself and for your friends. Ooh, the light got a lot brighter over the span of this video. Anyway, thanks to, thanks to you again for all your hard work and your practice. And I will see you in the next one. All right? Bye for now. Oh.